Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Good morning. How are you guys doing? That was a great time of worship, wasn't it? You know that song, Our God, is probably one of my favorite worship songs. It has a lot of power. I mean, if you think about the lyrics, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other. That's powerful. It can bring a man down to his knees. And the question that I ask myself every single time I hear that song is, do I really believe that? Because it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to sing it in service in church. But it's a whole nother thing to actually believe it and live it throughout your life. So I want you to ask yourself, do you believe that? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. Because what we're going to be talking about today the foundations of the church, if you believe that, then the way that you take in this message and the ones to come will really be affected. And for, for this service, we're going to be talking about the foundations of the church. We're going to be focusing on Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I don't have a page pulled up like Will does, so I'll give you a little bit of time to pull it up if you need to. But the context of this passage is Pentecost is happening. Pentecost, if you don't know, was the time when the Holy Spirit was given to all believers. It was, it was a great time. So we're going to dive in, starting at verse 42 in chapter 2 of Acts. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all the things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." You see, this chapter, this section of verse is the foundations upon which the church were built. Now, what is a foundation? You know, when, you, when I ask that question, you might be thinking of maybe the foundation that your house is built on. That's pretty important, right? You might be thinking of the foundation that your car is built on, you know, that you travel in, that you bring your kids in. You might be thinking of your marriage and the foundation that that relationship is built on. You might be thinking of your best friend or best friends and the foundation that that relationship is built on. But no matter what you're thinking of, foundations are important. Foundations are the solid ground beneath everything. Now you see, in Sacramento, California, there is a skyscraper known as the Millennium Tower. Have any of you guys heard of the Millennium Tower? One person. All right. So... This Millennium Tower, it costs $550 million to make. 
That is a fat chunk of money. And you see, the construction of this building, it won several awards. It has several claims of the construction quality, of the luxury, about just the building itself. It just gave off this positive aurora, you know, like everyone was excited about it. And within two years, two to three years of it being made, there was a serious flaw that was found. You see, in this $550 million building, there was a problem in the foundation. So within a couple years, the building started to sink. It has so far sunk 17 inches. That's a lot. Like, that's almost two feet. Like, that's crazy. And on top of almost sinking 17 inches, it's tilting 14 inches to the side. Can you imagine that? Paying $550 million for the building. If you're a person who bought a condo, the condos in that building are starting at $2 million. Can you imagine buying a condo and then finding out that this building is tilting? The people in the building can literally put a marble on their floor and the marble will roll towards the direction of the tilt. It's crazy. But that just shows you how important it is that a solid foundation is built. They built the foundation on dense sand. They didn't build it on the bedrock beneath. If the builders were Christians, they probably would have heard that story of, you know, building buildings on the sand and rock, and they probably could have overcame this whole situation. But this really just shows how important foundations are. But even more importantly, it shows us that something can look really nice, it can look really beautiful on the outside, and we can't tell the problems that might be occurring on the inside. Because looking from this building, from the street, you wouldn't be able to tell that it's sinking. You wouldn't be able to tell that it's tilting. You wouldn't be able to tell that the government is going to have to do a $300 million emergency fix for this building so that nothing happens any further. And you see, today we're going to be talking about a tough topic it's not going to be something easy for you to hear. It wasn't something easy for me to, to prepare. And it's going to be tough. It, it might not be easy, but the one thing I want you guys to do is to just have an open heart. Take it in. Today we're going to be talking about one of the foundations of the church that Acts 2 mentions, and that is prayer. And the question that we can ask ourselves is, what are the characteristics of a praying church? What are the characteristics of individuals who pray? And in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, that's going to be the passage we're going to be focusing on, if any of you want to turn to it. But in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, Paul transitions. He's first talking about uh, false teachers and what to do when we come into false teachers. And then in 1 through 8, he talks about what it looks like to be a church of prayer. He talks about what it looks like to be individuals of prayer. In Mark chapter 11, verse 17, Christ described the temple as a house of prayer for all nations. Christ also described us believers, that we are the temple of God, both individually and corporately. 
And therefore, we should be characterized by prayer. But if we're going to be real with ourselves, if we're going to be brutally honest, most of us struggle with prayer. And I know I do. I'm probably not alone. We struggle with either how to pray or we struggle with taking time to pray. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, Paul gives us these characteristics that we can focus on in order to help us to become a praying church, in order to help us to become praying individuals. Even though that this context that we're going to be reading is made for this general worship session, many of the truths that we're going to talk about can be applied to our own individual lives. So let's dive in. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, Paul says, first of all, then, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be offered on behalf of all people. You see, Paul starts off by saying, first of all, like, why would he say that? He's trying to grab our attention. He's like, hey, like, this would be in like all capitals and like exclamation points if you were to look in the Greek. Like, he's trying to grab our attention. He's trying to show like, hey, man, this thing, prayer, it's important. And then on top of that, he gives urge right after that. So it's kind of like a double capital. He's trying to really, really emphasize how important it is that the church prioritizes prayer. And not only that church prioritizes prayer, but that we as individuals prioritize prayer. You see, in the early church, the apostles even prioritized prayer sometimes over helping the needy and even over helping the widows. Sometimes they were so focused on prayer that they just ignored everything else and just prayed, just straight up prayer. They focused on praying and spreading the word. You know, it has been said that prayer is not preparation for great work. It is the great work. It's what we need to focus on. That's one of the biggest reasons why prayer is a huge foundation of the church. But you see, there are several questions that come up when dealing with prayer that everyone has. It's like, hey, why, why should we pray when we serve this sovereign God? Why should we pray if we serve this God who knows the past, he knows the present, he knows the future? Why should I pray if God knows what's going to come out of my mouth when I'm speaking right now? What is the point? Well, you see, in the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created Adam and Eve. And he used Adam and Eve, and he wanted us to have dominion over the earth. You see, Adam and Eve were the hands and feet of God. So that's how God uses us. That's, that's one of the reasons why we praise, because God originally gave us dominion over the earth to be his hands and his feet. So when we pray, he works through us. We become his vessels. If we're praying for the world, he works through us to help the world. And another thing that we can see in Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 30 to 31 he says, I looked for a man from among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. So I poured my anger on them and destroyed them with, my, with the fire of fury. I hereby repay them for what they have done 
declares the sovereign Lord. In that instance, no one spoke up. No one prayed for God to save this nation, and he destroyed it. See, in times in Scripture, when we look at Scripture, God destroys nations. He destroys governments. He destroys individuals for the lack of prayer. He wants his church to be a praying church. And just like Israel, we sometimes lack this fervor for prayer. Instead of prioritizing prayer, we prioritize money or we prioritize material possessions. I, I'm guilty of that one. I don't know any, anyone else that's guilty of the material part. Sometimes we prioritize family. Sometimes we prioritize education. In my experience, what we feel is comfortable is what we prioritize. We don't like to prioritize the things that make us feel uncomfortable. Now, let's think about church service. We can look at this church service, or I'm sure many of you guys have attended other church services. In services, how much priority is prayer given? How much time are the announcements taking up? How much time is the greeting time taking up? How much time is given to public prayer? And if we're going to be honest, our individual life at least my individual life, sometimes doesn't fare much better. Now, I want you to think of a significant relationship each and every one of you have. Some of you might be thinking about your wife or your husband. You might be thinking about a boyfriend, girlfriend, or maybe a best friend. Now, what I want you to think about is what that relationship would look like if you didn't communicate. I know there's some strays in here, and they'd be like, man, I would love it if my husband didn't talk to me. He can just keep on watching football or something like that. But for most people, think of what it would be like if you and the significant other did not communicate. How healthy would that relationship be? Would it be a healthy one? And just think of you and God. That's exactly what it's like between us and God. We can't have a healthy relationship with God unless we are communicating back and forth between him. Communication is key to any relationship. So how do we prioritize prayer corporately and individually? Well, the first thing is that we can pray at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. All of you are thinking, like, what, what, what does he mean? Like, he can't mean pray without ceasing, can he? Like, pray all the time? Are you serious? That's exactly what he's talking about. He's pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. And some of you are probably thinking, man, I'll, I'll get fired at my job if I pray without stopping. You know, hands, clo hands closed, eyes closed. But prayer doesn't necessarily have to be that specific form. Prayer can just be you and God talking. It can be you and God driving on the terrible traffic on I-25. I mean, everyone has time to kill and traffic around here because it is so bad. It could be you at work staring at the computer screen. You can still communicate and talk to God throughout your day. Another thing that we can do is that we can set aside specific time to pray. And now you're like, Josh, why, why should I set aside specific time to pray if I'm already praying all the time? That, that doesn't make sense. You didn't do good addition when you were growing up or something, but that does not make sense. 
Well, you see, I know some couples. Some couples schedule date nights. How many of you guys have date nights or um, activity nights with you and a significant other? So a couple, we need to get some more date nights going. I'm guilty of that too, I'll be honest. My wife has probably given me a scowl on the front. But the point of these date nights is to increase time with one another. It's to focus on talking to one another, to have a little bit more of an intimate time. But you see, just because these people are picking specific times throughout the month or throughout the week, that doesn't mean that they're not talking to each other constantly, does it? What they're doing is they are picking specific times to have a little bit more intimate conversation with one another. And that's how it goes for having specific times to pray. Even though we might be praying all the time or talking to God all the time throughout the day, having scheduled times where we can just be one-on-one with that God that we sing about, it just increases that intimacy. And not only that, having specific times to pray help us to pray without ceasing. So maybe you can uh, write in a prayer journal. Maybe you can set aside times each day and just focus on spending time with God and only God. The other question is, how can we do more with corporate prayer? You see, believers should make time for corporate prayer. When we see the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure most of you guys know the Lord's Prayer, there are a lot of plural words in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. There's all kinds of plurals that are just signaling, hey, we need to pray together as a family. We need to pray together as a body. You know, Christ said, when two or three are present, I am there. That's why we need to be doing corporate prayer. God meets us in a very special way when the group and the body of Christ comes together and prays. Another thing is that we should be setting aside time to pray with one another. But that's not always easy, is it? Sometimes we really don't like to pray with one another within the church. Why is that? I know for me, I don't like to feel vulnerable. Like, who wants to tell my, or your problems to someone else that you're going to be, like, sitting with? Like, some of your deepest, darkest, deepest, darkest secrets, hey, can you pray for me? You're like, sometimes the person you're talking to doesn't even want to hear your deepest, darkest, darkest secrets to pray for. Not only do we even not want to tell them, we live in this age of Facebook where we have this perfect facade You want you to look perfect. They want they to look perfect. Scrolling in your news feed, however you operate Facebook, do you ever see conversations about how they had this huge argument and they were super pumped about it? Or, you know, punishing a kid. Or, you know, I'm really depressed. I just want to let everyone know, you know, I'm not having a good day. No, we don't see any of that on Facebook. What we see on Facebook is the lives that people want us to see and the lives that we want other people to see that we're having because we don't post our own problems. And that's one of our biggest struggles is we don't want people to see the real us. I struggle with that all the time. 
But I'll tell you one thing. The times that I have actually sat down one-on-one and told someone the deep prayer request that I needed, there's always been a huge burden that has been lifted off of me. And I'm sure some of you have probably felt the very exact same thing. Now, another thing that we can see in verse 1 is Paul tells us to pray for everyone. That's at the very end of the verse. He says, pray for everyone. And he gives four different types of prayers to pray for everyone. He gives requests. He gives prayers. He gives intercessions. And he gives thanks. He's like, hey, you as the body of the church, you need to be praying these things over everyone. See, requests, that would be just, you know, things that we ask God. Like, hey, God, I need you to do this. I'm really struggling. Can you help me with this? Um, You know, my dad's struggling, so on and so forth. Prayer would just be like a general term of talking with God, communicating with God. Intercessions would be like this deep time where you're asking for prayer for someone else. You're interceding for someone else on behalf of them. And then just giving thanks. Thanking God for what he's done in your life and everyone else's life. That's what we should be doing for all people. See, this dude, John Stott, he said this about a public prayer offered in a church he once visited. He said this, he said, Some years ago, I attended a public worship in a certain church. The pastor was gone on vacation, and a lay elder led the pastoral prayer. He prayed that the senior pastor might have a good vacation. That's fine and dandy. We're not talking about Will here, okay? Just throwing that out there. This is a completely different story. He said uh, he asked for prayer for the pastor on vacation. And then he prayed for two ladies in the church that needed some type of healing. And that's fine and dandy and that's good. But the intercession couldn't have lasted more than 30 seconds. And John Stott said, I came away saddened, sensing that this church worshipped a little village god of their own devising. Man. That doesn't just like throw you off your seat. I'll say it one more time. He said, I sense that this church worshipped a little village God of their own devising. There was no recognition of the needs of the world and no attempt to embrace the world in prayer. Is that us? Just focusing on us, the family, our friends, whatnot. Or are we in that same place just worshiping this little village God that we've devised for ourselves, and just kind of forgetting about the rest of the world? And you see, some of the things that we can do is that we can pray generally for everyone. We don't know everyone's needs. That'd be ridiculous. But in verse 4, as we go a little farther, it says that God wants everyone to be saved. So we can pray for Um, the salvation of everyone. We can pray for the church to be encouraged. We can pray for the church to be strengthened. There are a lot of things that we can pray for in general. We can also pray specifically. But guess what? Praying specifically means that we have to learn things. It means we have to go out of our way and talk to people. I know that's hard for some people, and I mean, it's hard for me too. Hey, what can I be praying for you for? Like, that's a tough conversation starter, isn't it? You know, or watching the news. We can watch the news as terrible as the news is these days and all the political ads that we see on TV. 
It's a bear. But we can watch the news to find out where or what we need to pray for our community. And then as we dive deeper into 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, 2 through 3, Paul continues and he says, Even for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Such prayer for all is good and welcomed before God our Savior. So, people are, so Paul goes from talking to all people to praying for authorities. He's like, hey, you guys need to pray for those who are in government. You need to pray for those who are over you. And I know some of you right now are thinking like, have you seen our culture today? Have you seen some of the people in power? This is probably the most political unrest that I've seen in my very not long 30 years as a human being. There are so many different opinions. People like, people dislike, some people even hate. But guess what? No matter what, Paul is saying, no matter what you think of these people that are above you, you need to be praying for them. And some of you might be thinking, no, there's no way. Like, have you seen this dude that's in office? There's no way that I can pray for this man. Or, you know, maybe Senate or House or Governor. There's no way. Have you seen who this dude is? B.C. in Ephesus, at the time that people were hearing this letter that Paul had wrote, there was this dude in charge. This dude's name was Nero. How many of you know who Emperor Nero was or know anything about him? couple people. So for those of you that don't know, Emperor Nero was probably one of the most evil emperors that Rome had ever seen. He was a terrible man. And so Paul's writing this, and the people are listening to this letter, and Paul's like, hey, even Nero, you guys need to pray for him. And you see, Nero, he would take Christians into the public gardens, and he would light them on fire to light up the surrounding areas. It'd be the lamppost in the public area. He would put slabs of meat and tie it to Christians and throw them in an amphitheater and let lions attack them for sport. That is the emperor that those people were dealing with at this time. And if you see Paul, Paul's not like, hey, you know, you have a super evil ruler. I want you to protest against him. I want you to overthrow the government. I want someone to assassinate him. He didn't say any of that. What Paul said is, he said, I want you to pray for him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine praying for Emperor Nero? As your friends are getting tortured, as your friends are getting killed, and this guy Paul, who you look up to as a leader, and he's like, hey, you guys need to pray for him. That's the only thing I want you to do. In Romans 13, 1, Paul goes and he says that all authority that has been governed has been given because God let it happen. I know that's a butchered version of what that says, but I'm kind of paraphrasing it. But he's like, God lets the people who are in authority be in authority because he does. And because of that, we need to trust what God is doing. And that's why Paul says, like, hey, you guys need to pray for your rulers. You need to pray for those who are in authority for you. Another thing that this includes is spiritual leaders. We need to be praying for our pastors. You know, a board member got up and talked about Pastor Appreciation Month in October. 
And I'll tell you what, outside of gift cards, pastors love gift cards. I love getting gift cards as a pastor. But one of the things that they will be most thankful for is if you lift them up in prayer. Because that, that's what Paul calls us to do, is that we need to pray for our spiritual leaders. Because I tell you what, spiritual leaders get attacked more than any other person because of the position that they are in. When they get attacked, the church gets affected. So my challenge is to pray for Will. Pray for Greg. Pray for other pastors in this church because they are the front line. And another thing, and they're really going to appreciate this, they did not pay me to say this, is that praying for them will give you a less critical spirit towards them. I'll tell you that one more time. Praying for your pastors will give you a less critical spirit towards your pastors. If they say something that you really don't agree with, or if you're an email warrior and you just have a comment to make every single week or whatnot, praying for your pastors every single day will give you a less critical spirit towards them. And then we dive into 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 7. And Paul says, Such prayer for all is good and welcome before God our Savior, since he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one intermediary between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You see, he's telling us to pray evangelistically. See, one day, this person named Hudson Taylor, I don't know if any of you know who Hudson Taylor is, um, they were missionaries like you could never believe. So one day, Hudson Taylor was in a junk ship traveling from Shanghai to Ningpo. I'm probably butchering the names of these cities. But (coughs) Hudson had been witnessing to this man named Peter on the ship, and Peter was resisting the gospel but he was starting to feel a little bit of conviction. And in a series of events, Peter fell overboard. He fell off of the ship. Hudson freaked out, and he's like, what do I do? No one else is running to save Peter. No one is jumping in to save his life. So Hudson puts down the sails, anchors the boat, and jumps in the water. And nearby, there's a fishing boat. And Taylor tried to solicit their help. He's like, hey, There's this man that's drowning. I can't find him. Can you come over here and help me? But you see, these Chinese fishermen were so caught up in their own financial gain and fishing that they refused to help Taylor unless he paid them. So after a little while, they agreed. After a fairly large sum, Taylor had almost given everything that he had to convince these fishermen to come help save Peter. These fishermen came over, they started dragging their nets, and within one minute, they found Peter. But he was dead. They had moved too slowly. They had been too distracted by fishing and by their own financial gain to go and save a human life. What a tragic story. How calloused and self-centered these Chinese fishermen had to have been to realize that a man was drowning nearby and not drop everything and go and save him. 
But before I condemn those fishermen, I need to take the log out of my own eye. How concerned am I with people who are perishing that do not know Jesus? How concerned am I about my own comfort rather than people who do not know the Savior? Do I keep on going on my day, my business, day after day, week after week, month after month, just focusing on myself, what I need in my own gain? And I'll be honest with you, I am not as concerned with the lost as I should be, especially being a pastor. And where are we? You see, prayer that all people may be reached with the gospel should pervade the life of the church. Say that one more time. Prayer that all people may be reached with the gospel should pervade the life of the church. Does such prayer pervade our church? Does such prayer pervade my life? Does such prayer pervade your life? I fall short, and I'm guessing some of you fall short here also. It's easy to get like those Chinese fishermen, just focused on our own interests, on our own agenda, so on and so forth, and just forget about everyone else who is lost. And another problem that we can see, and I'm sure all of you have experienced in churches, is that we like to be in cliques. We like to have our group of friends, and unfortunately, sometimes when we have these group of friends, we don't care about anything else. We lose that evangelistic spirit that we once had because we're comfortable with our own group. We, we just kind of fall short and forget to invite people because we're happy with the friends that we have. We're happy with the church that we have. We don't want it to grow bigger. It manifests itself in so many different ways. And as we see through 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, one of the main points that Paul is trying to make through all these different characteristics is that the life of the church should be saturated in prayer. Not only the life of the church, but also the life of individuals. Our lives should be saturated in prayer. But none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. My life probably isn't as much saturated as it probably should be. But one of the things that we can see through this is that we can see how important it is for the church and us as individuals to focus on prayer. How healthy is our communication with God? How often are we talking to him? Because I think Paul's pretty clear in this passage of what prayer should look like in the body of the church and the body as individuals. How much more do we need to talk to God I know none of us are perfect, but that means that we can each grow in a specific area. So do you need to um, learn to prioritize God in your life for prayer? Do you need to do that? Do you need to start learning to prioritize praying for everyone? Do you need to start prioritizing praying for leaders and authorities who are over you or even the spiritual leaders in this church? Do you need to start prioritizing praying evangelistically? for people who might not know Christ. And I'll tell you what, those of you who are introverts, 
This gives you no excuse for not being able to evangelize because you can evangelize right in your closet praying for other people that you don't know. So don't ever say that you can't do anything because everyone can evangelize in one way or another. So what I want you to do, I know everyone here has a smartphone, right? Who doesn't have a smartphone? I, should, I probably shouldn't ask that. <laughs> Davey doesn't have a smartphone. So I want you to take your phone out, all right? I, I'm giving you permission to take your phone out. Will's not going to frown on you. Come on, I know everyone has a smartphone in here. Now, I want you to go to your alarm page. I know everyone hates that page because you have to set the alarm for when you have to wake up. But trust me, grunt through it, go to your alarm page. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think of a time every day that you have free or that you're able to take 15 minutes or um, just focus. And I want you to set an alarm for that time every single day. I'm going to do the exact same thing as everyone else. And what this alarm is going to do is it's going to get you to focus on prayer. And I know everyone is stronger or weaker in some areas. So what I want you to do when this alarm goes off is I want you to pick the area that you most want to grow in when it comes to these different characteristics. And I want you to focus on that. So make sure you set an alarm. Mine's usually like 6.30, 6.45-ish when I've gotten home from work. I'm all settled. My mind's clear. But I want you guys to set an alarm in your phone that will remind you to pray. Because I know you guys are probably just like me. When I get a notification on my phone, I am all up on it. Like, I want to see who's texting me. I want to see what Facebook's going on. So if we have an alarm on our phone, we are so much more likely to pray. And that's my challenge for you guys, is set an alarm in your phone. Choose a characteristic that you want to focus on and grow in. And I promise you, I promise you, that alarm will help wonders in your prayer life because it's going to be something that's just going to stimulate you. You know, when we're talking about prayer and we're talking about the song that was just played right before this, Our God is Greater, Our God is Stronger, can you imagine the potential that you can tap into by praying if you really believe that? If you really believe our God is stronger, our God is greater, our God is higher than any other, and you have this opportunity to pray one-on-one -on -one with this God. Take advantage of it. Focus on it. Pray for people. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. And just focus on this closing song. It's another How Great Is Our God song, just to kind of further emphasize, man, I get to pray with this almighty great God. I can be in contact with him one-on-one, -on -one, and he lets me. So just kind of focus on that as we play this last song.
Yeah. 